of uh, the distinct pleasure and the distinct opportunity to share with those that are in a less fortunate place than we are. You know, people say sometimes, well, you know, they just want to be down there on the street. They want to be homeless. And in some cases, that is true. But that doesn't make the need any less. Whether someone wants to be there or doesn't want to be there, it doesn't change the reality that there is a need. Jesus said, if you saw me thirsty and you gave me water, if you saw me hungry and gave me food, if you saw me cold and gave me a blanket, if you saw me in prison and came and visited me, he said, when you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so, thank you guys, that was epic. That really was, we had a lot of left, I mean, there was a lot of food from Friday night's outreach. We had a outreach over at Wichita, and we had a good attendance. I mean, it was a very good attendance, and we had less, we had less um, publication on this last month's outreach, so literally without any print material getting into people's hands by way of consistency, we had 45, maybe 50. I mean, it could have been as many as 50. That was just, I mean, it was great. And we had great entertainment. Josh, thank you guys for the crew. We had, uh, when I say entertainment, it was just a fun night. And Jason, I know you were there. It was, uh, and others, I'm sure. Anybody else who was here that was there? I mean, it was just really, really a nice evening. And uh, lots of interaction around the tables. Got to pray with a number of folks. I mean, just really, really neat. And so the, I don't know how many potatoes we had. We took... It had to have been 50 pounds of cooked tomatoes, potatoes. You say tomato, I say potato. (laughs) We took probably 50 pounds of cooked potatoes over to Teen Challenge, and that was after we filled those 35 to 40 meals, uh, those individuals. So praise the Lord. That's good. Well, hey, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation. Revelation, we are in chapter 10. And, uh, well, we're diving into chapter 10. We finished up chapter 9, and we went through this morning, um, you know, we, we, we did sort of a catch-up, and we had a lot of folks this morning that have not been with us because of the baptisms this morning. We had a lot of family members, and so I thought it important that we would uh, at least do a quick review to kind of bring them into where our study was. And so we, we went through chapter 8 again in some detail, and then uh, some of chapter 9, if you will, in some uh, modicum of really skipping a stone across the water, so to speak, but just to get them on the same page. And, uh, and so, by way of reminder for us, again, John is now in heaven, and he is literally taken to the future. And he is seeing these things occur in time, if you will. And so he is describing the events that are even yet in our future. And he has seen the scroll, that scroll that is the title deed, if you will, to the earth. And he's broken now, or Jesus has taken the scroll and Jesus has broken. He has recorded for us the breaking of the seven seals. The breaking of the seventh seal revealed the 
seven angels and seven trumpets given to the seven angels. And the angels sounded their trumpets and began to sound. And so we saw in chapter 8, the first four of the trumpet blasts were the one-third judgment. And we talked about that a couple, well, it's been now over about a month ago. And a third of the vegetation, if you will, trees and grass uh, were destroyed and burned up. Uh, In the second, a third of the seas uh, were impacted, became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and the ships were destroyed, a third of them. And uh, it should be noted that there are about seagoing ships, there are about 30,000 globally. And so imagine for a moment 10,000 ships being destroyed. That's no small thing, right? And so cataclysmic. Uh, I, I mean, just think about this for a moment. On, I think it's the USS Nimitz, the, the one of the big um, uh, aircraft carriers, about 6,000 people on that ship. And when you think about 10,000 ships being destroyed, uh, you know, ranging anywhere, I mean, if they're at sea, ranging anywhere from, you know, five to 6,000 people in a large one to smaller numbers, for sure, could be as low as, you know, twos and three hundreds, but there's still a lot of folks that are potentially losing lives even at that point. So this was a obviously a very devastating thing. Then uh, the third trumpet is sounded and the fresh waters are struck. And not only is it the rivers, uh, but it's the springs of water as well. And so um, I think I read one commentary or heard one, of one minister share that there uh, in the National Geographic um, surveys, there are about 100 major rivers worldwide. Well, if you destroy a third of those, some 33 to 35 major rivers become bitter water, not to mention the streams, uh, or excuse me, the the fountains, if you will. Uh, And so this is uh, obviously devastating, and many men die because of the bitter water. And then the fourth trumpet sounds, and that's where a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars are darkened. And as a result of that, a third of the day and a third of the night And uh, we've talked a little bit about those and what those things might be. And again, there's been much conjecture. Uh, I I really, although I do like to study out what possibilities may be there, I read uh, guys like Hal Lindsey, and I've read a number of those guys, and there's many things out there. And it could be some of those things. Uh, But what we do know for sure is something supernatural is happening. There's angels involved. And there are descriptions of cataclysmic events on global scale. Now, if these are actually man-originated things like nuclear holocaust kind of wars could be, and that could be all part, but it almost would be less of judgment, if you will, if that's how it comes about. The justice of God. So, I'm I probably lean in my eschatological viewpoint that there's something more from a supernatural activity transpiring here as opposed to a natural activity. Uh, there, are, there are some natural things that are consequences as a result of a supernatural event. Okay, uh, So we come and then we get to chapter 9 in the 5th and the 6th trumpet. We're introduced to those uh, 
really demonic armies. And it cannot be emphasized enough, again, when we see these judgments. It is, it is the love of God that compels God in justice. His, just, his love demands justice. And that's, that's very good. And it's, um, you know, the, the summation of humanity is man really has for, since the beginning, sought his own and pursued his own endeavor. He, in, in fact, against God. I mean, from, you can see early on in Genesis, Nimrod, a hunter against the Lord. And he, it, it, it's man's pursuit, and his pursuit is really filled with self-indulgence. And so people say, well, this, this seems so very harsh, God doing these things or allowing these things or his justice being metered out. Well, we're coming to the summation. He's given humanity 6,000 years. He's patient. Remember, his heart is that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. All should come to the saving knowledge. But man, in the hardness of his own heart, does not pursue God. So we are introduced in chapter 9 to these. Uh, the first is uh, an angel is given a key. And again, I would remind us all that the angel was given, this, this fallen star, if you will, was given the key to the abuso. He's given the key to the abyss. He didn't have the authority. A lot of times, you know and I know that the, the world somehow thinks that Satan is the king of hell. It's not how it works. Hell, in fact, Guyana, the lake of fire and brimstone, it was created for Satan and his angels, his fallen angels that fell with him. It was created. It was intended for their eternal punishment, if you will, for their disobedience. And that's, uh, people ask me oftentimes, well, if God is so loving, then why would he send anybody to hell? Well, you know the answer, and I know the answer. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. They choose to go there. And so uh, a place created for the devil and his angels. So he's not the king. He, he does not have that ruling. He's not walking around in hell poking people with a pitchfork. It's just, I mean, the cartoon pictures that we see, that's not that way. It's not that way at all. In fact, there are portions of Scripture that, warn us about even making light of things that we know nothing about, right? They're spiritual beings, and they are powerful, and they have certain authorities. And so we ought to take heed. How many of you have seen the commercials for the television series Lucifer? I'll tell you, I saw another one of those uh, commercials, and I thought, man, I would not want to be that actor. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, that it, mm -mm -mm. And, and messing around and trying to be almost humorous about a very serious subject matter. 
doesn't get much more serious than that. I mean, it's a big, big deal. And so, uh, chapter 9, he's given the key to the abuso. He unlocks it, and we are introduced to a demonic uh, army. And this particular demonic army is given power to uh, torment men for five months. And the torment is like that of the scorpion, where there is an infliction of pain. We're told that this pain is so severe that men will seek death, but death will elude them. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about what would that be like? I mean, because we can all, with our imaginations, imagine if I was trying to kill myself, I think I could probably do it. Not here you couldn't. Imagine the outfall of that. I mean, that c- it could literally be, for some who try, very, very bad, because they will not die. Um, now, I won't go into any stories, but I I have family members who are in the uh, police forces, and I hear stories. I, I think, statistically speaking, those who have attempted suicide, do you know that the number of successful uh, suicides is only in the 30 to 35%, I think, which means 65% are unsuccessful? I mean, thanks be to God, they were unsuccessful, right? But in many cases the outfall is horrific and the and the tragic family scenarios that ensue as a result it's and so here it could be a devastating time and again to be reminded in a very sobering way god's justice the wrath of the lamb on a christ rejecting nation and a Christ-rejecting world is redemptive. That many would come to Christ during the seven-year, uh, the seven-year tribulation of the seventieth seven of Daniel. Well, after the first woe is passed, we come to the sixth trumpet, the second woe, if you will. And when it is sounded, John enumerates, if you will, this army. And there is an army of some 200 million. Uh, it is a uh, description. It says, now the number of the army, verse 16, uh, the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth, blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. That would be indicative that this is not something in the natural realm, number one. Number two, something in a tremendous power is given to them. It is given to them to destroy one-third of mankind. One-third of mankind. It says, By these three plagues, verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and and in their tails. For their tails are like the serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. 
And this morning we talked in detail, uh, or a little more detail, about verse 20 and 21, and this will bring us into chapter 10. But uh, verse 20 again says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, or the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. Let me stop here for just a moment. Let's recognize that idol worship, we now in this verse discover what is behind idol worship. It's demonic activity. So whether it's Mammon, Molech, whether it might be Asheroth or another, Baal, the, 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 the force behind it is demonic. And let's take it right up to the head. All of that comes right back down to Satan himself. Satan himself. And so, when believers engage in idol worship, and we're, we're, we're all brothers and sisters here tonight. We're, I'm looking around the room and believe all of us know the Lord. We think sometimes that idol worship, well, I don't make carbon images out of stone and I don't have any wood tiki dolls and things like that or what have you, right? I mean, I watch Survivor and I see the little idol that gives, you know, we generally don't have those things that we are necessarily worshiping, right? And we think, yeah, I, idolatry, that just seems like something way back then and maybe they just were you know we think sometimes were they just not very smart <laughs> i mean when i think about the children of israel during the days after solomon's uh son rehoboam when when the the nation was divided into two and the ten northern tribes immediately jeroboam sets up in dan and in Ephraim in Bethel two golden calves again it says here are your gods worship them and like the people gave in and that's what they did now I mean you you could put yourself there and you're an intelligent person sitting here and you're scratching your head saying why would they do that and I'm thinking to myself why would they do that and sometimes I think we, when we read stories in the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves there. But let me, let me fast forward for a moment. Uh, we do have metal images. Many of us park them in our garages. Here's the thing. Now think about this for a moment. This is very real. If you gain significance in any way by what you drive, you're borderline engaging in some level of idolatry. You're gaining value by something that is made with hands. Now, when it becomes the most important thing and you find yourself, and you've seen it and I've seen it, where people spend more time washing their vehicle than they do their own bodies. <laughs> you think, what's wrong? <laughs> it's just a car. Uh, but it's not just cars, right? We have wooden images too. Most of us have a roof over our head. And again, having a misplaced 
value, if you will, or we gain some level of security and stature as if that somehow is where we get that from. Maybe it's our job. Maybe maybe the pursuit of uh, education or what have you. Uh, that, that would be in many forms if, we're, if that is our passion and that is our thing, it can become a form of idolatry. And as, as believers, I mean, let's, if we look at the church in a very general sense, the, all of Christendom, the kingdom of God is not often thought about by his children. That's sobering, isn't it? That's sobering. Oh, that we would not be that group. Someone say amen. Amen. That we, that we would raise the bar. That we would help set an example. That the kingdom of God would be something that would be preeminent in us. I will say how much I love, Chuck and Peggy, when your heart, your passion, I love receiving your prayer requests. It's beautiful. Praying on a global scale. And your thought on Friday night, we'll take this food and feed folks down on the street. Time was not of the essence. It was ministry. It's the kingdom of God. Touching people's lives. It's glorious. Praise God. And when the children of God, and I look across this room and I'm very, very thrilled. I mean, so many, many of you engaged in the kingdom of God and the ministry of our Lord. And so it's exciting and we ought to have those things. But it is a slippery slope when we begin to engage in and have passion for things in front of our passion for our Father, which is in heaven. And so, you know, I'm certainly in an ever-increasing manner becoming aware that we must be on guard at all times because temptations, it can start small and it can get big quick. And so we must, must, must be careful. And so we see the children of Israel that uh, engaged, and it says uh, that they uh, would not repent or did not repent. Um, the rest of mankind, verse 20, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of their work, the works of their hands, that they uh, should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Well, idolatry and putting things in front of the Lord, we might say, well, that's something I probably wouldn't engage in, right? So let's say we have proper perspective on our stuff and our cars and our houses and all that kind of stuff. And we, we really do. And it's we're, hey, we love the Lord and we're totally engaged. Verse 21 reminds us of some other behaviors, murders. I think it's difficult sometimes for us when it comes to, I, I heard someone say it this way, well, I, I love that person in the Lord, but I don't like them very much. And that's almost oxymoronic. Uh, the Bible inspires us to have fervent love one for another that we're to have fervent love for the brethren. And that, that doesn't really give us the opportunity, whether we like or don't like, does it? And oftentimes when we don't like something in, in somebody, it's probably because we really don't like that same behavior in ourselves. 
And it's time for us to come to the altar and say, Jesus, will you transform me? I need, I need you to do that transformative work in me. And I think it's so great that God places people around us that challenge us. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, right? Do you know that when iron sharpens iron, there's friction? The temperature rises. Are there some relationships in your life, some people in your life that God maybe has placed in your life, and you think, man, Lord, why did you do that? And he might be smiling, and you say, I didn't do that to you. I did it to them. I put you in their life. Because <laughs> we're so quick to think, why are they in our life? When Do you know that God may be putting you in their life? Right? You may be the burr. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Well, it's true. Here's the thing. We need to grow up. Right? Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you to uh, love your enemy and do good to those who uh, treat you spitefully. Do good to those who persecute me falsely for my name's sake. Right? And so it's, it's in the kingdom of God, it's different. Do you know that the word there for love is agape? Agape. <laughs> love without condition. How are we doing there? How are you doing there? How's your love? Is your love somewhat conditional? Is your love somewhat temperamental? Lord, help transform my heart that I might be more like Jesus, changing from glory to glory into the image of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus. Help me to love people the way I've been loved. Amen? So, murders. And then he goes on and he says, or their sorceries. The, the, the Greek word here for sorceries is uh, pharmake. Pharmake, drugs. In fact, another translation would even say drugs here. Um, sorceries could be all of the mysticisms under one big umbrella. But that word pharmacia, where we get our English word pharmacy, it is drug-related. Do you know right now in America, right now in America, prescription drugs, the consumption of prescription drugs, percentage of global use. Now, there are about 350 million people, maybe closer to 370 million people in these United States. On a economy of scales, when there is over 7 billion people, we are a smaller percentage of humanity. The percentage of prescription drug use in America, in comparison to the global, is like above 70%. That's scary. That's scary. Now... I know some is medication and so forth and so on. And I'm probably not educated enough. It's above my K grade to say things about it. But what I would simply say is be careful in what you do. Be slow about your decision making. It seems like now with children, uh, boy, if they, if they cough or they uh, seem to not keep attention for very long, we're just going to prescribe something for them. We're going to give them a prescription. We're going to give them a prescription. And so many of these things seem to be driven uh, by finance and money, insurance, and all kinds of really big, big business. At the end of the day, it's mammon. It's mammon, okay? 
And so we see this, and they, they did not repent. It seems like when there is a repentance associated with it, it almost seems like it is recreational use. Look at what's happening to our generations of young people right now. I mean, we've, we've legalized so many drugs that at one point in time were uh, illegal for medicinal purposes and for some recreational purposes. Many states in the United States, the legal drinking age is now 18 years old. Uh, I can tell you at 18, I thought I was responsible. But all you had to do was ask my mom. <laughs> She'd be able to tell you in a heartbeat that I was not. Now, legally, I was an adult, but I was not ready. I was not ready for that kind of liberty. And so we have this pharmakeia, we have this drug. And it goes on to say uh, there's sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. This is, it is alarming, alarming. David Wilkerson, back in the, I want to say it was probably mid to late 70s, wrote a book, a very small book, uh, called Set the Trumpet to Your Mouth. And in that book, he talked about VCRs, when VCRs were first coming out. And he said, and he literally, I believe he was prophetic in what he said. But he said, in America, one day, VCRs will be so inexpensive that every house will be its own porno palace. Its own porno palace. David Wilkerson was probably not anywhere in his conceivable mind that the World Wide Web was going to come into play. But literally, every house at one point in time, or most homes in America, had VCRs. Do you remember VCRs? Some of you remember betas. Some of us remember eight-track tapes and reel-to-reel. <laughs> but I remember having VCR at my house. And the, the availability with video stores, homes were beginning to be destroyed. The, the Greek word here for sexual immorality, porneo, porneo. We get our English word, pornography. And sexual immorality in the world today. In America, it is a billion, a multi-billion dollar business preying on families to their destruction, marriages to their destruction, children being addicted. Listen, children being addicted to pornography before they're in their double digits. You can see why the justice and the wrath of God because it is only evil that seems in man's heart. 
you can go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read about the conditions prior to the Noadic flood. That cataclysmic deluge that God said, I relented that I made man. He is only continually evil and violent. And we see those conditions. And Jesus reminded us, he says, it would be like in the days of Noah, the return of the Son of Man. Well, we're rapidly approaching that, rapidly approaching. So this sexual immorality and their thefts. Uh, Thefts here, uh, the Greek word is klemo. It has its root word, klepto. And you're certainly familiar with uh, kleptomania. Uh, we get that from this Greek word. Uh, klepto is the, is the root word, and klemo is in the, uh, the text here. Uh, kleptomaniaism. Taking things that don't belong. And really for no necessary need. It's... Kleptomaniaism is not like, well, I'm hungry, so I'm going to steal bread. That, that would be taking, you're, you're trying to fulfill a legitimate need. Uh, kleptomania is someone has something that I don't have. I don't want them to have it anymore. I want me to have it. And that's happening. Its root is covetousness, and it's happening uh, relationally. People are stealing. Uh, men steal from other men that other man's wife's affection. They may not ever have a physical affair, but there may be some dependence that is happening in a relational thing. And they're stealing attention, and it really is a form of thievery taking affection that belongs to the husband, and that women do it too. That's just a very simple, but sometimes when we think of thievery, we think, well, someone took something that didn't belong to them, or they broke into someone's house, and it's robbery. I just want you to know, robbery happens in many different forms. Many different forms, and it's happening. And so, as Jesus followers, as salt and light, Ought not we be different? Ought not we be like the children of Israel when they lived in the land of Goshen? They were peculiar. They were different. The Egyptians were like, well, what's with these guys over here? They were different. They had different ways. They had different forms of worship. We ought to be peculiar. It ought to be very, people ought to be very aware there's something different about this group. And it should have point toward Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so, it is peculiar to me, and we talked in detail this morning, after all of this horrible stuff, if you will, this wrath of God stuff, all of this uh, chastisement, if you will, that the people would repent and the people did not repent. And it, just imagine for a moment this last demonic army. They, they were given power to destroy one-third of mankind. And, I, and I'll reiterate this because we've talked about it, but to let this sink in for a moment. If 
at the time that the rapture occurs, there are seven and a half billion people on the earth. We, we really can't equate to how many of them are Christ followers, those that are belong to the Lord that will get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But let's assume for the sake of argument, let's assume that it's a large number. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's assume for sake of argument, it could be as many as two billion people. Amen. Let's, we must go. We must go. Do you know that right now in China, missionary statistics would tell us that every single day, 26,000 people give their hearts to Christ. Hallelujah. Here's the thing. That's not even what their birth rate is. There are more babies being born. When you get to big numbers, things happen. And more people are dying daily, I think, than that as well. So you, you can do some research on that and find out what those statistics are. I don't, I don't have it all in line. But I'm just telling you, that's pretty exciting. So we, could, we can imagine, hey, that number could be pretty big. But here's the thing. That still leaves a large number of people on planet Earth. Many will give their hearts to Christ. Many will be martyred. Some will lose their lives in these variety of different things that transpire in these uh, activities that are supernatural. The chastisement, if you will, try God's attempt, His final attempt, if you will, to bring more souls into the kingdom. People will lose their lives. But when we come to this particular one, if it's one third, let's just assume for the sake of argument there was only 4 billion folks left on the earth. That's 1.35 billion people that are going to die. Just the sheer amount of death is incomprehensible. The Civil War in America, when America's populace was very small, I want... If I'm not mistaken, I want to say the number of deaths was somewhere in the neighborhood of 250,000 Americans. It may have been as high as 280. Someone could do probably a quick Google search and, and tell us. Alarming percentage-wise in relationship to what the American colonies and how many of the states were, you know, finding, uh, you know, their, their uh, stateship and how many of them, you know, were populated. We were low numbers yet in America, and I, I don't know what the numbers were, but uh, that was a large number. And do you know that all of the American, every war that we've engaged in since then, I don't think total what we lost in the Civil War. So all the wars since the Civil War, cumulatively, we still haven't lost that number of lives that we did then. Amazing. I mean, do you know that World War II, it's estimated that we really don't even know how many lives were lost, but they estimate 50 million, 50 million lives in five years. Over 20 million Russians gave their lives in warfare. Isn't that just we're talking one point billion and we're just grabbing numbers out of the air imagining if three billion are caught up to meet the lord in the air that would be amazing that would be absolutely amazing this is big so 
they still didn't repent. That warps my mind. Think about this for you, though, and think about this. I think about this for me. What does it take for me to repent? What does it take for you to repent? When God the Holy Spirit reveals some area of your life, something, some behavior, some attitude, whatever it may be, maybe it's your little thing. We use little excuses like, well, I, my disposition is just anger because, well, I was raised, you know, my dad was angry. We like just discount it. And so we, well, I have a license now. Did you not know that I have a license to mistreat people? <laughs> to just be rude? We think that, that and, and we, we, we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we read verses 4 through 8, and love is kind, and love is uh, all of those wonderful attributes. And we can take the word love, and because... First uh, John reminds us that God is love. We can take God and we can put it in the equation and say, God is kind, and the whole equation works. Every one of those statements works. God is boom, 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 boom. And we can take the Father and put the Father in there. We can take Jesus' name, put Jesus, and we can take the Spirit, put the Spirit in there. And then we can take our name and put it in there. Dave is kind. Uh, put the brakes on. What? And somehow we feel... We have a license, and the Spirit of God has been prompting us. How long has the Spirit of God been prompting us about that thing? Right? What will it take us just to say, you know what, Lord? I agree with you. I'm going to change. Will you help me do what? Repent. I must, that godly sorrow, I am so sorry, Lord. I've just been obstinate in this area of my life. I repent. I'm so sorry. And then we turn back to God in prayer. And we need Him. And God empowers us to change. To change. To be transformed. And here's the beauty. He'll surgically remove. That's why I love the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's like a supernatural scalpel. He'll just reach in and he'll cut out that stuff. And he'll pull it out. And you know what? He doesn't leave it void. He puts more of himself in there. A little more Jesus. How many of us could have a little more Jesus in our lives? Amen. Oh, pack it in, Jesus. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over that rivers of living water would flow. Well, we come to our text now at 710. <laughs> Chapter 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice, and as when a lion roared, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. So many theologians would hold, and many very good theologians would hold, 
that this, in fact, may be Christ. Uh, I would simply say, uh, and many others would say it is not. So it, there's, there's a number in each camp. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't know that it matters. Uh, I would simply say to you that I, I would hold that it is another angel, personally. And the reason I would is uh, for several reasons. But first, the Greek word for another here is alos. There are two words for another, alos and uh, hetros. And uh, alos means another like in sequential numbering, like uh, one of these, one of these, one of these, one of these, and each one of these is the same. They're the same, one after another. Whereas heteros would mean another of a different kind. Like when you go and buy your donuts, you say, well, I'll have uh, two maple bars and I'll have two apple fritters. They're still donuts, but it's a different kind, right? And so we would say, I'll have another heteros, I'll have the apple fritters, if you will. Where alos is another kind, I'll have 12 maple donuts. And then I say, I think I'll have another donut. It's another, it's alos, another of the same kind. Does that make sense? Okay, so here we find the word alos. And so we've seen the angels and now we have another angel and so i would hold that this is another angel but here's what i want you to note about this particular angel this angel has some amazing authority number one now it would be noted that there are a number of angels that we see referenced by name in scripture certainly we would be all very mindful of the angel gabriel Gabriel is the angel in the book of Daniel who comes and answers Daniel's prayer. And in that Daniel chapter 9, we see that there was war in heaven. In fact, that when Daniel set his heart to pray, immediately the messenger was sent with the word. But he was in battlement in the heavenly realms with the prince of Persia. And so there we understand also that that demonic activity, those fallen angels, seem to be somewhat territorial. Gabriel himself is seemingly the angel for Israel and the holy city Jerusalem. And here's the thing. He says, and then Michael came. Well, Michael, we know, is referenced by Jude as the archangel. He is the only angel that is given that specific title as archangel in Scripture. Uh, so we know that there is certainly angels with authorities. And here, this particular angel, another, listen, mighty angel. Now let me ask you a question. Are angels mighty without saying it? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh, this one has the adjective added by God the Holy Spirit. Mighty. That tells me something that this angel has certainly a level of authority and it is might in the Lord and so uh, I, I've done a fair amount of reading uh, both biblically and extra biblically and the Apocrypha there is the book of Enoch and it is interesting it is not biblical material but it is certainly extra biblical and it is known as the Apocrypha or a, por a portion of the Apocrypha uh, is the book of Enoch and in the book of Enoch there are references to 
literally seven archangels, and they are named by name. And it, so it's interesting read. We don't know. Some would say even those seven angels that we see here may, in fact, be those seven archangels. Well, we, that's, uh, that's probably hyperbole. It could even be uh, a tremendous amount of conjecture. Uh, at this point, what we know is this particular angel is another angel, and he is mighty. He's mighty. Okay. And it says, he's coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. And I would say, when we see bronze in Scripture, it is again a reminder of some level of judgment. And so when we see even Jesus at the transfiguration, even Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, we see that his feet were a glow, if you will, like bronze in the furnace. Here we have that same uh, uh, idiom, if you will, his feet like pillars of fire. This is an angel, and he's there, there's a certain level of judgment in association. And let me mention also here also, chapter 10 really is, we've, we saw with the breaking of the seals, the first six seals came in chapter 6, then chapter 7 was that parenthetical pause before the seventh seal was broken. Well, we've seen these seven trumpets that have sounded, and chapters 10 and 11 are like this parenthetical pause. In fact, some would even say it's chapter 10 through chapter 14, this parenthetical pause, even though the trumpet will sound in chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh trumpet. We really don't see what that seventh trumpet does until we see the seven, vo the seven bowls or the seven vials, and I think we'll get to chapter 15 to see that. So there's some things that are going to transpire. And this is that parenthetical pause. So that the, the sixth trumpet has sounded. Now we have this parenthetical pause, this angel, another mighty angel coming down from heaven, and he has a little book open in his hand. And he set it, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Um, I don't know how many of you may have actually seen a YouTube video when a lion roars. Certainly you've probably seen an MGM movie, uh, Metro Golden Mire, when they have the lion that comes out and it does its little roar. Uh, I don't know that we can gain the significance of what that must be like. But imagine yourself walking across the savanna in North Africa and you're doing your thing, just walking across the grasslands and all of a sudden you hear behind you you know, whatever that lion sounds like. <laughs> Scratch that from the tape. <laughs> but whatever that lion, I mean every hair on your body stands on end. You are at, at attention right now. Fact is, I would probably scan who's with me. All I want to be able to do is outrun one of you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm teasing. All that to say, it is. it must be something. Just like John... While in exile on Patmos, when he heard the voice behind him speaking, like the sound of many rushing waters. Attention right now. It was something. And when he turned, you know, he fell at their judgment. 
right? And so something significant. Well, this angel is like a roar. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. There is a couple of places in Scripture where thunders are mentioned and voices uh, amidst the thunders. Certainly we know that when God the Father spoke to Jesus, his son, the men that were around said, did you all hear the thunder? It was like a thundering voice. They didn't discern the voice of the Father. Well, there are voices, if you will, in these thunders. And it says, in verse 4, it says, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Do not write them. This is an interesting verse for a number of reasons. And some have even made application with this verse that although and albeit that the canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the totality of Scripture in the 66 books is complete, here we have, and we could also look in Daniel where Daniel was told to seal up his book until the end. There are portions that are the Word of God that are not included already in our canon of Scripture. And some of those will be revealed to us at some point. And that's, that's relatively exciting to me. I'm curious as to what God showed Daniel and what is written down uh, in relationship to those. I'm curious to know what these seven thunders said. But the application that some have made, because there are certain theologies, and we are what I would consider a full gospel church. We are a full gospel group of people. We believe in the full counsel of God and the totality of Scripture. And we believe that the gifts, the operations of the Spirit are for today. There are those who would hold that there is a secession of the operations of God that happened at the conclusion of the apostolic age. There are some that would hold that the gifts stopped when the canon of Scripture was complete. Well, here this Scripture would tell us that the canon of Scripture, in fact, is not complete or finished. Therefore, the gifts are for today. That's always a fun conversation to have with one who is <laughs> in that place. But nevertheless, there he, John is told these thunders speak, and he's told not to write them down. So what it is they have said, uh, I look forward to hopefully knowing that someday in the near future. Uh, he goes on to say, The angel whom I saw standing uh, on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. And here's the, here comes the second reason why I would hold that this angel is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. It says, And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it that there should be no delay any longer but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he is about to sound the mystery of God would be finished uh, as he declared to his servants the prophets so he swears by him who lives forever who created heaven and the things that are in it the earth and the things that are in it who created all that we know 
Colossians tells us that all things were created by him and for him in reference to Jesus Christ himself. Now, I will say uh, that God in the Old Testament, because he could not swear by another, he swore by his own name. So it, it could be that it is Jesus swearing by his own name, if you will. But again, with the correlation of the word another and that he is swearing by him who created all these things, my understanding would be he is really referencing in Christ's name, if you will. And so he's making these declarations. And uh, the declaration is that um, he goes on to say, uh, the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. In other words, the fulfillment and the summation of time is coming, and it is about time. This, it is time, and judgment is, there's no further delay. Um, so, verse 8, we hear the voice again which he heard from heaven, spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. I think sometimes when we see that kind of conversation, like which one of us would walk up to the angel and say, give it to me. <laughs> it's hard to uh, comprehend what that conversation was like. The angel knows that he's coming for the book, right? Uh, so John says, may I have the book, please? Uh, and so the angel gives him the book. Uh, it says, so I went to the angel and said to him, give me the book. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Uh, this would not be the first time that a prophet has heard these words. To take and to eat the scroll of a book. Uh, Jeremiah was told, to take and eat, and it would be as sweet as honey in his mouth. Ezekiel, in fact, uh, turn with me to Ezekiel. Uh, just turn back a few pages. I'm looking at the clock, a big chunk of pages, I guess. Um, and, we'll, we'll, and we'll close with this, but uh, Ezekiel in chapter 1, no, chapter 2. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse... Eight. Let's start in verse 8, uh, and we'll go into chapter 3, verse 4, maybe. Uh, it says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious uh, house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he said, and then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate. I ate it, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness, right? And so John is instructed to take this book, take this, and again, 
this book, remember that they did not have books like you and I have books at this point. They, 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 their codex was not a bound book like this. A, a codex of a book, if you will, was a number of scrolls, and scrolls could be uh, as long as you know, 30, 35 feet in length, 40 feet in length. They would just uh, simply bring the uh, papyrus, and they would uh, sew them together, if you will, and they would uh, have these scrolls. Well, if there was a considerable amount, they would have several scrolls that would equate to a book, if you will. Uh, so their codex is different. So he's taken the scroll, if you will, and he is going to eat it. And he is told that when he eats this, it will be sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. Bitter in his stomach. And this is where, I, and we'll end here, but I think about the totality of the human experience, the human endeavor on the face of the earth. And in all reality, because our pursuit because the totality of humanity's pursuit has been self-indulgence, really the end of it is it's, it's bitter. There's a bitter end. There's a bitter end. And not knowing what, is the, what this book represents, and there is, again, many conjectures here what it could be, um, he's told it'll be sweet. But we see that in the scripture, for the prophet, it's sweet in his mouth. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is sweet. It is like honey on our lips. When, when we get to share the word of God, the scripture tells us that an apt word is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Well, now that is delightful. Delightful. And yet... When we consume the word and we allow the word to become part of the fabric of who we are, who we are is forced to reckon with truth. And that can be difficult because it necessitates transformation. As much as we want transformation, has anybody discovered that transformation feels good in the midst of the transformation. Most of the time, it's work. It's work. Have you noticed that the enemy, when he brings in temptation to our life, he promises immediate gratification? Right? He doesn't tell us about the consequences after the fulfillment of that immediate gratification. Whereas God, on the other hand, says, listen, if you'll work up front, you'll reap the fruits later but the fruit will be good it will be good and so that I, I see the word of God that is so sweet upon our lips oh yes and it's sweet upon our ears I want that yes oh hallelujah and then I'm laying on my bed at night and the spirit of God begins to reveal how that word applies in my life and those things that God and why does God want to take? We sometimes see the things that God wants to cut out of our life. We say, why would you want to take that good thing? And he says, that is not a good thing. Because in so many cases, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, has blinded our eyes. And we've been duped even by our own flesh. We've made provision in so many ways for our flesh. I, like to the point where... I hide ice cream in the back of the freezer so the kids can't find it. And it's like that 
hidden food is sweet morsels going down into my innermost. It'll get up when no one's awake, and I'll walk down, making sure the steps aren't making much noise. And going, in, in so many ways, we can do that with certain areas of our lives. And the Word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It's the revealer of the motives and the intents of the heart. Well, when does that happen? It happens for me when I lay down at night. And I'm just, the Word of God just going through my mind. Then He just shows me a little picture about me. I'm like, really? I was wrong? I have to apologize. Oh, Lord. And then I elbow Kim. Honey, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Thank you, Gabe. (laughs) Tonight, (laughs) you're going to be laying on your bed, brother. (laughs) You're going to elbow Tara. Honey, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, hey, on that note, let's stand. We'll pick back up next week. We'll We'll start with verse 8 of chapter 10 again, and we'll, we'll go through, and uh, we'll cover chapter 11, I'm sure, and it's, well, we'll get far in chapter 11. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to invite you to enter into the throne room where the Father is. Kind of just shut everything out from the totality of last week and thoughts of even what is forthcoming this week. Just quiet before the Father for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, will you let your word sink in that is sweet upon our lips, but that bitterness, so to speak, because so often your word is difficult to digest to really take it in and allow it to become the fabric of our lives Lord will you transform us I pray Father that this week we would make allowance for time in our prayer closets with you that, Lord, you would help us to be wise in our calendaring and wise in our schedules. That you, for those who are up at 3 in the morning or 3.30 and on with their days and all of those things and the hustle and the bustle, God, will you grant time that we might linger in your presence, that we might have fellowship with you, fellowship, and that the longing of our hearts would be transformed, that truly our passion would be to get alone with you, to spend time with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for those who are with us tonight. We pray, God, your blessing. And, uh, Lord, on this first day of the week, we thank you for the fellowship. We thank you for uh, the time that we've had in corporate worship. And now, Lord, as we embark on the remainder of this week, God, may we go from this place, I pray, charged up in a matter of speaking, but inspired to be bright lights for Jesus and salty salt.
salt of salt. Lord, help us to convey the gospel everywhere we go. In Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have an amazing week in Christ. And we'll see you hopefully some point during the week and certainly next Sunday. God bless.